Welcome to Limitless, the Blind Beginnings podcast where seeing things differently inspires limitless possibilities. The Limitless podcast was created in order to inform, educate, entertain, and share stories from within the blind and partially sighted community that show that the opportunities for those who are blind or partially sighted are truly limitless. And now, it is my pleasure to introduce you to your host, the founder of Blind Beginnings, Sean Marcelet. Welcome back to Limitless, the Blind Beginnings podcast. I'm your host, Sean Marcelet. Thank you so much for joining us again this week. I really mean it when I say thank you to our listeners. We so appreciate that you are listening to this content and we're really trying to get our message out there to more and more listeners. So please, if you like the podcast and you think that someone you know might find it interesting, please share with a friend or leave us a rating, like, subscribe, all of those things really help us kind of improve our ratings improve our numbers and, and then become a little bit more popular. Okay. This week we are getting ready to go back to school and we're going to be talking with a couple of parents about sort of how to prepare your child for starting school, specifically starting kindergarten or, or just starting, you know, <laughs> uh, and we have two parents. We have Maria. Welcome back, Maria. Hello. Thanks for having me. Yes, uh, I'll get Maria to introduce herself and her daughter in a moment. And we have somebody new. We have Shauna. Welcome, Shauna. Hi, thank you. I'm thrilled. Yeah, thanks for being <laughs> here because you're kind of doing my job today. You're going to be asking a lot of questions to Maria because your child hasn't started school yet. So why don't you guys um, introduce yourselves and tell us a little bit about your kids, how old they are, their, their level of vision. Maria, do you want to go first? Sure, I'll go first. So um, I am a mother of three kids. Um, they're age nine, six, and two. My eldest daughter, Alina, is blind. She's completely blind, and she's going into grade five this year. I also have a six-year-old who is sighted. So it's been interesting to observe how things compare for one versus the other, and I feel like that experience has been very valuable. Um, and I'm just really excited to share this information because uh, when I was going through what Shauna is going through, I was definitely looking for that and just wanting to talk to people that had experienced it and trying to get some tips. Yeah. Thank you so much for being in the hot seat today to answer whatever's thrown at you. <laughs> uh, Shauna, tell us about your kids. Yeah, sure. I'm a newbie parent with all the questions for Maria today. I've got two boys, uh, Charlie, who's three, and Jack, who's just over one. So I'm coming out of the tired phase of the toddler and baby. Uh, and Charlie uh, has optic nerve hypoplasia bilaterally. Um, so we're not totally sure how much he can see, but um, he navigates his, his world pretty well in terms of you know, getting around objects and that sort of thing. Um, and he is a social butterfly. So he's in uh, daycare full time. And so we're just starting to hear all these conversations around, um, you know, school, kindergarten pop up and I'm already freaking out. So I'm very excited about this conversation and to learn from Maria's experience and, and also to having uh, Jack, the younger kid who, who's sighted. So um, I think that insight's gonna be super helpful. Awesome. Well, I'm excited to learn too. So why don't you just take it away, Shauna? Let's go with some questions. Yeah, it's fun just peppering questions at someone. I don't get to do this in life too often. Um, <laughs> yeah, I guess my 
my biggest question, Maria, is like where to even begin. So like I've never registered any kid uh, to go to school. And so I'm just kind of wondering like when and how do you get in touch with the school district? Like how do you even start thinking about transitioning a kid into school? Good question. Um, I mean, I think we start thinking about it ex extremely early. All of us parents were probably like the minute the baby's born, we're like, what school are they going to go to? Um, it's, I would say um, it's good to start uh, really like planning and, and contacting people during the prior school year. So um, for us, in and around January is when our um, school board starts registration for kids. And then it kind of runs until whenever, like until the kids start school. So around January, I saw the signs up, like register for kindergarten. And when you register, you have to register for uh, the school that you're gonna go to specifically. And so that prompted me to think, well, do I, do I just register for the one that is in our neighborhood? Do I register for others? Is that even an option for me? Should I think about those things? And so um, kind of January was when I contacted our neighborhood school so that I would meet with them. And then I also started thinking about like, what are the alternatives? So we looked at some options, like uh, we thought about maybe French immersion. We also thought about some um, private schools just because my husband and I both went to private elementary schools because of our religious background. And we thought, well, maybe we should consider a religious school for our kids as well. And then it was kind of an easy decision for us in a way because Alina is completely blind. We realized um, that both of those alternatives, like the French immersion, um, we didn't want to do that right away because she would definitely be a Braille reader. So we're like, let's just stick to English and Braille. And then we also um, just thought about like, how we would be able to provide all the services to her at one of the private schools. And it's very difficult. It's not impossible, but it's more challenging um, when you have a braille reader with O&M orientation mobility needs to try and supply all those services to a school that's not public. So we were like, no, we don't want to do that. So that kind of simplified things for us. But I think it's important to think about those things because I don't think that parents should feel like, well, my child has a disability, therefore they're limited in where they could go. Um, so you could definitely think about those options. And so then when we uh, contacted the, the local school in our neighborhood, we made an appointment with the principal there and we went to see him together. Like I took Alina with me. We went to the principal's office and he met Alina and I just, um, asked him a lot of questions that I had and that other people had sort of suggested to me to find out more about that school. Do you remember some of those questions? Not to put you on the spot, but any like... Yes. Yeah. Yes. So um, I definitely remember asking mostly about like, what experience do you have with this type of student? Because vision low vision and blindness um, in particular are such a low incidence thing in for children in general, right? Um, so in some schools in our city, I'm sure they've never even had a, a visually impaired or blind student. And if they had, maybe it was like 10 years ago. So I wanted to know, have you had this kind of student? What experience do you have? And then I also wanted to know, so that was like specifically about blindness, but I also wanted to know about the overall um, community, the school community, the vibe of the school, 
And I wanted to know whether it would be a place that would kind of be inclusive to somebody who's different, regardless of, of what disability or difference. So I was asking questions like, um, you know, have you had a blind student before? Uh, what sorts of supports do you think you'll be able to offer? How, uh, what's your approach to students with different needs, whether, okay, if you have, because they had not had a blind student before. So I said, okay, what about other students? Like what about students with hearing loss or, um, uh, students with autism spectrum disorder, like what about that? What do you do? And just trying to, the, the answer I was looking for was, well, you know, we have a team approach and we look to the family to tell us what the needs are and we want to include them as much as possible. We have an anti-bullying program. Like those are the types of things I was looking for. And so you were really interviewing him. I was. Yeah. Nice. <laughs> And I was going to ask too, like, it's cool that you brought Alina with you. Um, maybe how, did she have questions at the time? How was she feeling or why did you think it was important to take her along? Oh, good question. Okay. So I wanted to take her along for two reasons. One was for her benefit because I really believe that even when my kids are really young, that they have agency in what, you know, happens to them. And, you know, I, I involve her in all like, you know, we have a lot of medical appointments. I involve her in those to the extent that is appropriate. I don't just hide things from her and then, you know, things happen to her and she doesn't know why. So it's kind of the same thing, like with school, I wanted her to go to see this is going to be her school. If she has questions, you know, and I feel like also the more times the child has an ex has exposure to that school that they end up going to the better because it'll be familiar. So it was partly for her, but then it was also partly for him and whoever was going to be there, like if there were other teachers, to see her um, in real life. Because when you talk to somebody on the phone, <laughs> this has been my experience, and you tell them, oh yeah, and like, by the way, she can't see, they just freeze. Like, they just think that it's this insurmountable yes. thing, and the child like can't do anything. Whereas when they meet them in person, and they see like, oh, actually, like, this is just like an average kid and maybe they need to do a couple of things differently. It really kind of softens the conversation. And then um, I just think it creates a better relationship because they're not operating under a false assumption about what the child can and cannot do. They've seen her for themselves. So it was, it was that too. And, and it was interesting. So when we went there, he just had like this giant box of Lego in his office. And all she did was play with the Lego while we talked and build something. And in the end, she had built something really cool. Like it was a little, I mean, cool for a four-year-old. It was a little house with like a roof and a door. And he was like, I could see that he was trying not to appear overly surprised, right? He didn't want to offend us by being like, oh my goodness. But he was like, wow, uh, you made that. And that was the, that was my moment of like, aha, you see, glad I brought her. So you could see that she can do stuff and she's not that different. Oh, that's so good. Yeah. Love no, that. It's like parent goals. We had a fun experience <laughs> in daycare and now we have an amazing daycare and Charlie, I think loves the daycare people more than he likes being at home. Um, but they, at, when we first sort of talked about Charlie coming, they were like, oh, we'll put a gate around him like a physical gate around him so that he doesn't get hit like that safety freak out um, too, that I think happens 
Yeah. Um, yeah. And did that happen for you? Like when she was uh, coming into the school with teachers and stuff, like were people really afraid of forgetting? Oh, yes. Yeah. So I have a story. So by the way, this experience, so the funny thing about this whole experience with meeting the principal is that he really passed the interview with flying colors. And I went into that school year, naively optimistic, just thinking, this is great. Things started to go downhill from there. And it just, goes to show like even at work sometimes I interview somebody and they look like a star candidate and then when they show up for work it's an epic failure but one of the first things that happened totally aligns with this story Shauna so um when Alina was in kindergarten um kind of towards the end so this is because she's now in grade five this is before COVID when people were doing a lot of field trips and things and the school had this uh program where I think every couple weeks they went on a nature walk um, to like explore nature and whatever. Um, and all the kindergartners did this. And I mean, she was only four when she started, right? So she's um, not super mature and also doesn't have strong O&M skills, but we're here to work on that. Um, so sometimes when they would be out on these nature walks, instructions would be given she wouldn't understand the instructions and she would kind of go a different way and people didn't really know how to communicate to her what what she needed to do she would get frustrated and this became kind of an issue on these nature walks where all the other kids would kind of you know be group thinking walking along the trail following each other and Alina would kind of get disoriented and maybe start walking off and so without any conversation with me or questions questions or maybe trying to get some O&M support or whatever, I get this um, document sent home in her backpack and it's called a safety plan. And the safety plan says that due to Alina's, you know, quote, bad behavior and non-cooperation on outings, uh, this is the new safety plan that will be followed. Alina will be given a first warning, like, like I'm actually quoting stuff. First warning to get back with the group. If she has to be given a second warning and she does not comply, there is no third warning. She will be sent back to the classroom. Oh, whoa. And this was written by the school counselor. And I mean, like my blood is actually boiling right now just talking about that because there are so many things that are so wrong on so many levels with that approach. But that was one of the first moments where I was like, oh, you guys don't get it at all. Like, the, it, she's, she's not an uncooperative kid. I take her with me on all kinds of outings with two smaller children, right? Mm -hmm. And we're able to function out in all kinds of busy places, shopping malls, grocery stores, the airport. Like, I don't have a problem getting her anywhere. And you're telling me that on a little nature walk, you're having problems. So this is not an Alina thing. This is a you guys thing, unable to communicate with her. And that was one of the first times that I had to like, uh, just get over my inability to have conflict with people um, and just really stand up for her. And it was in the, that exact uh, setting of like, it's a safety thing. Mm -hmm. Like she's not being safe. And it's like, well, not really. That's not the problem. Yeah. yeah. But that was one of the frustrating moments for sure. Sounds like a scared straight program of the late eighties, <laughs> early nineties. I wonder if there's an, and Sean, I, um, obviously it's your podcast, jump in whatever you want, but mm -hmm. no, thinking back <laughs> around like how 
because I guess a lot of my fear around school is in the unknown and also in the assumption that like people aren't really going to get it and we're going to have all these hard and difficult conversations and I'm going to have to do that thing where I don't like conflict but I'm going to have to pretend that I'm okay with it for the benefit of my child. Do you think that in retrospect there was anything that could have happened in that transition phase either before she started kindergarten or um, that, that might could have helped that you maybe wish you would have done? So, so part of that experience was this lesson about not assuming that people are going to get it and not being afraid to sort of like insult their intelligence by telling them in advance about what needs to go down. So now when any type of similar thing program, oh, here's a good example. So, so this year in grade four, she did a cycling program. There's like a kind of organization that comes into schools and they do uh, cycling with kids. And so we got the notification that they were, gonna, they were gonna do this. And I could have just left it up to the team, the school team to figure out how they were going to adapt it for her, make it safe for her, make it so that she's not freaking out, getting onto a bike on the road or whatever. Um, I could have sort of let them hang and, and see what happened, but due to prior experience, I definitely was more proactive and I emailed them and I said, so what is the plan? Have you thought about how you're going to do this? Here are the things that work for us when we go cycling as a family. These are the types of options we have. Would you like me to drop off this equipment so that she can, you know, clip onto somebody else's bike? Would you like her to use her own bike? In which case you need to give her the following instructions. Where are you going? These are the areas where she feels comfortable. Outside of these areas, she's going to get, you know, scared by uh, cars on the road or whatever. And I just like basically spelled it out for them. And um, I maybe some people would view that as like, don't tell me how to do my job. But honestly, you don't know how to do it for this child. Even if you've mm -hmm. worked with a different child with mm -hmm. vision loss, you don't know how to do it for this one as well as I do because I live with her. So that's what I did. And the cycling program went awesome. And if you think about it, cycling... <laughs> way harder, more complicated than just going for a walk. So I've kind of like evolved to that point where even now with something as complicated as that, I can instruct them in advance. And I don't assume that anybody knows what to do. Sometimes they think they know, they assume, and it's correct. And other times it's totally off for her. You know, what's really, really frustrating about that is that I feel like in kindergarten, you went in with you know, she's perfectly capable of handling nature walks. What would you eat? Why would you even need to talk to anybody about, you know, like you're, you had high expectations and accurate expectations for her abilities. And then it, it totally flopped. And then the cycle, you know, now you have to have this approach of like, basically assume you're not going to know how to deal with this. So I'll tell you how to deal with it so she can be successful. But it's just depressing that, mm -hmm. that they're not, prepared. <laughs> yes, it, it is. And like, part of me is like, I want them to kind of struggle a little bit and figure it out, but that comes at the expense of my child. And oh, she yeah. has so many stressors. Um, I mean, to be honest, Alina, she enjoys school now, but that wasn't always the case. Um, just, you know, some kids love school, some kids for them, it's like a bit of a struggle sometimes. And so because of that, I want to reduce those stressors for her as much as possible. Um, she's also she's also just an anxious kid a lot of the time. And, and because of that, 
I take that approach with her mm-hmm. as you know, and, and this is kind of why, why I said in the beginning of the podcast, well, I have another kid who cited my sighted child is also the less anxious, more kind of adaptable one. Just, she was always like that. Her personality is like that. And so with her, I'm less likely to intervene, not because she's cited, but because I'm like, well, you know, if something happens, she'll be fine. Like she never worries about anything for longer than five seconds. So mm-hmm. it, it's also just knowing your kid and maybe Shauna, if Charlie is more like the adaptable type of kid um, and just his needs are different, you may not feel like you have to do that every single time. But sometimes you might want to be like, um, in this particular scenario, let me step in. Yeah. And did it like, I guess one of my, did you just like have this one meeting with the principal and then you just show up on September 1st and it's like, or did, were there, we have all these service providers now, like, was there some support, formal support during that pre-K phase to get her and the school ready? Yes, actually. So thanks for, for saying that because I, I totally skipped over that part. So, so that, yeah, we had the meeting with the principal and, and that was probably around Jan, January, February. And then, um, closer to the end of the school year, maybe May or June, we set up a meeting between the school team and her existing service providers. So at that meeting, we're definitely the principal of the school. There's a learning support services teacher whose job it is to kind of coordinate. We had been assigned a vision teacher from the school board. So we knew, um, mostly like 90, 99%, we knew it was gonna be that person. So she came as well. And then from the existing support team was uh, someone from the supported child development program, which I presume if Charlie is is getting um, funding for daycare that you guys know those people. So there's like a coordinator from supported child development that came. And also uh, our Bruce Taylor was our, I think vision consultant through CNIB at the time. So Bruce came and she also had an occupational therapist that had been provided by the uh, I think it was some provincial service so her OT came as well and so all those people kind of sat down together and talked about uh, like you know what Alina's needs are what her strengths are what things she's currently working on and then so that was a meeting and then in that meeting we asked to have some visits to the school during the summer before all the other kids showed up. So we were able to arrange two visits. One was actually in the school so she could go look at the kindergarten classrooms. We didn't know which of the two classes she was gonna be in. So we kind of checked out both. Um, That is a bit challenging because in the summer you have to make sure that school staff are there and you're allowed in and whatever. So that was one visit. And then the second visit was just an outside playground visit. And one of like, honestly, one of Alina's favoritest, favoritest memories of anything she ever did O&M. She's not a fan (laughs) of O&M, but her favorite O&M memory was going to the playground with Bruce Taylor, uh, her vision consultant at the time and they did an audio recording uh like he just had a little tape recorder you know with actual like an actual tape old school tape (laughs) um because of course you would right it's Bruce so um he had this tape recorder and they recorded um them walking around the playground and the sounds of things like oh this is how the swing sounds when you tap 
the pole that the swing hangs from. And this is how it sounds when it swings back and forth. Oh, and this is how they had gravel on the field. Um, this is how the gravel sounds when you walk on it. And these are the wood chips at the playground. And here's the railing that goes up. And they recorded all of that. It was maybe like a 30 minute recording. And then the rest of the summer, she just played that thing back and replayed it over and over again, partly because it's so fun to rewind a tape recorder. Um, <laughs> but she really loved listening to it. And, you know, he made it, he made it fun. Like it was a fun little adventure. They went on and they listened to sounds. And then she listened to it over the summer. I honestly don't know how much of it was like an O&M benefit. I don't know that she remembered how the playground was laid out. It wasn't about that. It was about, this is my school. These are the sounds of my school. These are the things that I can do at the playground. I'm excited to go back and play on that swing and whatever. So it was like more like that. And I think that would be a fun thing for any kid to do regardless of vision level. It is totally O&M too, though, because that say she's walking into the playground and she hears the creaking of the swings. She knows what that sound means. Or if her cane bumps up against the railing, she knows what that sounds. Or if there's gravel under her feet, she knows she's on the ground. Like it's, it's yeah, it's cool. It's cool on so many levels. And do you remember her feeling like really anxious and nervous before she started school and more or less so than your younger daughter? Yes, yes, absolutely. For Alina, it was more stressful. I think um, a big help was going to daycare before. And I know you guys are doing the same thing. So, you know, just um, if, if there's an opportunity to go to a kind of structured childcare setting where there's a routine, every day there's a routine because in kindergarten, there's going to be a routine. There's um, learning how to cooperate and share with other kids, waiting your turn, listening, that sort of thing. Um, if, if people don't have an opportunity to go to full-time daycare, even just doing like a drop-in, sometimes there's drop-in childcare places where you can just go whenever you have time. So that is a good way to prepare. Um, but yeah, Alina was definitely anxious about it. And so another interesting aspect is that we have since switched schools. So we kind of did a restart at a new school in grade four. So last year was a new school. And I would say that her anxiety about starting grade four at a new school was even higher than starting kindergarten. And so what we did, um, I, I don't know if it helped. She was still you know, pretty stressed out about it, but I think it did is um, Alina has had a counselor, like a mental health counselor, and we thought it would be good to do some sessions before the start of the school year. So we scheduled those sessions with that school counselor. And then in the June meeting, prior to starting at the new school, we had the same transition meeting with, you know, outgoing school, new school, and we invited the counselor. And that was super helpful because I feel like the adults listen and take things more seriously from a professional like that. Mm -hmm. So when the counselor was saying, you know, these are the fears, these are the concerns, and here are the strategies that I'm teaching her. These are the coping skills we're working on. I could see like we were on the Zoom call with the new teachers and I could see them kind of, you know, oh, yes, 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 of course. Yes. Uh, super professional information. Yes. <laughs> if, if, if Alina were to say those things to them, they, you know, like there's a little bit of like a pat in the head. OK, sweetie, kind of thing, mm -hmm. which again, like to Sean's point, why does it have to be like that? 
but I was very happy that we did that because then it kind of was like a formal component, like that mental health component became a formal component of her plan in the beginning of the year versus being just something that the family shared. Mm So uh, yeah, it sucks that I had to do that, but I felt like I needed to, I wanted to, and it was a good investment. Um, and she actually had a really positive transition to grade four. Like it worked out really well. I wish that I had maybe done a little bit of that in kindergarten, but still it was okay. I would say the first couple months of kindergarten were definitely an adjustment for her. And she was not always a happy camper. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I can predict Charlie's not a big fan of change. And so I think, I mean, it's one of the biggest life transitions that any of us go through is that holy, what is school moment? And I have to be here every day. What are you talking about moment? So I think it's tough for for some kids. I know I have, like, I'm just kind of flexing into my parent advocacy space um, and it's hard. And so I don't want to like keep going back to these preparatory meetings with the school. And, um, but how did, like, that's a lot of humans in that room, right? Before you start mm-hmm. getting all those specialists, new people. Um, so, so kind of maybe any tips for managing that space? Like, I just worry about having to educate folks on like, I'm not a person who is blind. I don't want to be the one to educate them on what blindness might look like, but it sounds like you kind of have to. So I don't know any reflections on those kind of prep meetings. For some reason, I'm just freaked out about it. Well, I think one of the things that helped me, okay, first of all, I'll just say this. You can, you can invite anyone that you feel would be helpful to you to that meeting. So you can invite Sean, you can invite me, you can invite anybody that you feel like would be a support person to you. Um, there was my husband and I, we, we prefer to go together, but there was a time, one time when he was away for work and I went by myself and just, it, it was, I was so flustered. Like I was so used to, um, having just, just some other person that I can make eye contact with and be like, I, I'm going to say something. Right. And he's like, yeah. yeah. Um, So you can definitely bring somebody to help you. If you don't want to do that, what I found helpful is um, I have kind of like my uh, parent mentor um, whose daughter is also completely blind. And, you know, she's about to graduate high school now. So they've gone through all these things. And whenever I have one, I go into all these meetings. And also the mom is a teacher, which helps because she's a vision teacher, actually. Because so she can give me insight on like how the system works. So the night before, or like whatever, a couple of days before one of these meetings, call me, call somebody that you know, and kind of get in the right headspace. And the thing that they will tell you, if they know what's up, <laughs> is that you as the parent have ultimate say and control um, over so many things. Like there are some things that, you know, you have to work within the confines of the school system. But I think for you and who are not we are not teachers we don't really know how things work I had I sort of had this perception that like I'm not allowed to Mm. impose my opinion or how I want things done on them they're the professionals they know what to do I'm just here to kind of learn no 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 they need to follow the plan that you have set out as a parent for your child and you have the biggest say at, at, at that age right at the kindergarten age and then moving forward your child will at start to advocate for themselves and they will have more and more say such that ideally kind of by high school 
that the child is attending their own IEP meetings and telling people what they need and what needs to happen. But this is something that my, my sort of parent mentor drilled into me is like, she, she just always says to me, she's like, Maria, listen, you are the parent and you know this kid better than anyone. And you need to advocate for her based on what you think is best and they need to listen. And she gives me these little pep talks. I'm like, yeah, you're right. You're totally right. Okay. And then I go into it with that mindset where, you know, I'm not there to like yell at anybody or be disrespectful or question their credentials. I'm, I'm there to have a respectful two-way conversation, but I need to be confident that I know what I'm doing. And when I ask a question, I'm entitled to ask that question. When I have a concern about something, I'm entitled to have that concern. And so are you. And I think it's normal to start out feeling like you're feeling right now, like, oh, I don't know, like, should I say something? Is this my place? But then pretty quickly, you'll kind of grow into this new role and it might, might feel awkward at first, but then after a while, it'll just be like another persona you put on. <laughs> well, and so grateful to have like other parents like you. I think that's so critical because yeah, sometimes you just forget that like many, many, many other parents have done this already. And so learning from them is the way to go, I think. Um, and then the, the next question I had was around teachers, TVIs, teachers of the visually impaired, like very, I think, awesome that they were at the meetings prior to school even starting. But I don't know a ton about sort of like, what is a school week look like for Alina with TVI coming in or going out like how much are they there what do they do versus what a, a teacher does right good question so I also didn't know anything about this um, I have learned a lot about it so I thought that um, teacher of the visually impaired would be like at the school all day teaching my kid that's not how it works they are called itinerant teachers which means they go to different schools they have students at different schools throughout the day and so they might only see your son um, a couple days a week and during that visit it might only be for an hour or 30 minutes or something like that which was a shock to me because I was like okay what then how does everyone else know what to do so they are kind of more like the quarterback of the operation. They are the ones that know how to adapt material and they know Braille and they know lot, lots of um, methods and strategies for enabling the other teachers that are at the school to deliver the material. So the way it typically works for Alina at our school is like her teacher has a lesson plan. Okay. For like next week, we're doing, we're learning about trees, for example. And so all the kids in the class are going to get these worksheets. They're going to color in the different trees. They're going to learn about cedars and pines and whatever. And okay, what do we do for Alina? And this is where the TVI comes in and says, okay, for Alina, given her vision level, this is how you would adapt this material. So if a child has some vision, you know, they might make the materials in bigger print, um, different color scheme to make it more visible or whatever. But for Alina, because she's completely blind, it's basically like straight up, we're going to braille and tactile things. So her, her TVI would say, okay, this worksheet, we're going to um, maybe print it on a Piaf machine so that the lines of the trees are, um, you can feel them and then she could color in by feeling. Also, are you guys going to go outside to experience the trees and smell the trees and maybe touch the leaves that come off the trees? Let's find a good place where you can do that. So it's kind of her job um, to 
adapt that material. And the same for other classes, whatever um, that teacher does that. And then whatever, um, let, like, let's say they're reading a short story in school about trees, the um, teacher of the visually impaired would ensure that that gets transcribed for her into Braille. And your the time that your child has with their TVI in the beginning, like especially if they're a Braille reader, um, it depends on their need. So because Alina was completely blind, is completely blind, she got about an hour a day in kindergarten, which like, that's not a lot mm. to me. It's really not very much. And I tried to fight for more. I was able to get a little bit more. I still think that what she got was not enough. And now it's decreasing as she's getting older. And I feel like it's not enough. But um, it's, you kind of have to, they have to sort out how much time the teachers have between all the students. And right. that's the difficulty. So most of the time, uh, your child will be getting support from their classroom teacher. And if they have an EA, an education assistant in the class, then that person really is going to be their resource. And ideally that person should know Braille. If your child is a Braille reader, your EA needs to be an EA Braillist, which has not really been the case for us most of the mm -hmm. time because our school district doesn't have enough EA Braillists. So that's brutal. Um, yeah, it's one of my biggest complaints. Like I was talking to my husband about this before we started the podcast and I was like man I really am just projecting my own experience in school as a person who is sighted and being like well how will that work for Charlie and how will that work for Charlie so I think yeah like a little bit scared that it's an hour a day um but I guess like yeah you're also hoping that they're like totally included and integrated so having like an adult sit beside them for the whole day probably isn't ideal either. So I think it's just kind of, yeah, it helps me kind of picture what life might be like for a little dude in that room. So I think that's so. a really good point, actually. Like um, the, what you said about always having an adult next to them, that is the balance, right? Like, yes, I wish that she had more TBI support, but in, at the same time, I don't want her to always be under the watchful eye of an adult like she should be with her friends and doing things with the rest of the class that has also been an issue where like she's always constantly being watched by some adult and doesn't really get to do her own thing and be free the way the other kids do so I think that's also a valid concern for sure yeah, yeah they don't get to be naughty <laughs> yes <laughs> Yeah. You can't get away with anything because people it's are always watching. <laughs> so true. Like uh, sometimes I see um, in the morning when they line up to get into the school, they kind of go in this lineup and I see the boys in her class. They play this game where like one boy runs at full speed and then spins and thwacks another boy with his backpack. And, <laughs> and no, like it's just like so violent. And they do this like then each boy gets their next turn. If Alina even just like nudges someone, you know, an adult is on her like, oh, watch out. There's a person there. It's mm -hmm. like, ah, chill out. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I've, I've also seen Alina interact in her, like in a few, I've been lucky enough to see her like interact in the world a few times. And she's like very self-confident, at least what I see from an outsider perspective. She's like very 
like stands in her own power, it seems like, and she's really self-confident. And that's the another thing that I really wanted to to ask you about. It seems like it's come up a few times, like this idea that she is not complying or like, I just, I don't want Charlie to be this like perfect angel who just does what everyone says. How do you, how have you maybe found balance yeah. I, I hated that. That non-compliance thing just drove me crazy because that was, um, that, w- that was actually a conversation that we had with the team at one of the meetings. It got pretty heated because especially as the parent of a girl, I felt so insulted by that, that kind of stuff of like, you're telling my daughter to just accept everything that is happening to her how do you, do you think that's the right way to raise a girl in today's society? No, that's a hard no. I want her to say no, if she's not comfortable with something. Of course we need to, you know, within reason, we need to do certain things when we're in school, but I don't have a compliance issue at home. So what are you guys doing differently? And what I, what I discovered it was for the most part is a communication issue and a lack the communication issue of the staff not being able to communicate to her in a way that she will then accept what to do is the result of not understanding how she views the world. So for example, I asked, like there was one time where they're like, oh yeah, she's having a really hard time complying with um, like moving on to the next activity. I'm like, okay, can you give me an example of this? They're like, yeah, sure. So they were doing art and then the teacher said, okay, now we're gonna do a really cool science project let's everyone come over here and do something really cool with science and they had there was a table set up with like, I think they were going to do like I don't know a volcano thing or something I don't know what it was or something like that and I was like okay I can spot the problem first of all you're taking her from a preferred tactile activity to watching something mm-hmm. secondly you're saying oh look at this cool thing we're gonna do And then all the kids see all their classmates run over and they have that group think Mm -hmm. and they run over. What is Alina's experience in that moment? It's I'm doing something with my hands that I enjoy doing. And I'm being told that something that I don't know what it is, is going to happen, which could either be at least not cool at worst, scary or loud. (laughs) And I don't see anyone else going there. Like maybe she hears feet moving but she doesn't know where they're going so to her it's like a WTF like what (laughs) no I'm not going over there and also she can listen from where she is she doesn't need to get closer to see the activity she can continue doing her art and still know exact get exactly the same thing out of it that she was running I didn't I didn't even think of that you're so right I didn't even get to that so I'm like do you understand like that she's then not complying because you didn't really communicate it in a way that she would want to comply. Here's how I would do it. I would say, Alina, in two minutes, we're going to go do a science project where we will do X, Y, Z. And I will let you feel these objects so that you get to experience something. And all of the class is going to go do that. So why don't you finish this art thing that you're working on? Does that sound good? No, it doesn't sound good what are your concerns? Mm-hmm. And then she will tell you because she will like, she'll say, uh, you know, Oh, is it going to be loud? A lot of times that's her question. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's going to be loud. Um, 
no, or yes, actually it will be loud. So why don't we take your, she has like these little earmuffs. Like, why don't we take your earmuffs and you can do it. And then, oh my goodness, you will get compliance. Like you've never seen because you've explained it in a way that makes sense to her. Yeah. I, I don't even remember what was the initial question that you asked about, but like. <laughs> Me neither, but you nailed it. These are all, these are all gold. Well, and it's also like giving her the opportunity to say what is going to work or isn't going to work or ask question when you're just like, we're moving now, get with the program. Like there is no buffer. Yes. Yeah. And to me, that's part of the EA's job. Like the education assistants are not just there to like stand around and prevent her from walking into things. There's more to that job. There's the job of helping her to integrate into the classroom activities and you need to be a good communicator. So another tip I told them is, um, I, and I say this to kind of anybody that wants to work with her, like on any, in any program is, uh, go to YouTube and choose something that is like no words, like claymation. I always pick Pingu. Mm. You guys seen that penguin show where they just go newt newt, but there's no talking. <laughs> I'm like, okay, turn on Pingu on YouTube and just for five minutes, narrate what's happening. That's your practice for how to interact with her and how to make it easier for her to understand what's happening. It's actually harder than it looks to go for five minutes like that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think it's also like the, the upskilling, uh, like, not that I want you to badmouth any of Alina's previous teachers, but, um, how do you like because that's the thing that seems like it's it's everywhere and all the time is like upskilling these professional folks who are working with your kiddo that have no background knowledge so I guess when things even now grade three grade four aren't going well um what have you found has kind of worked yes yeah that's such, it's such an important question because the classroom teacher is really the key to everything. Like we went to the school where we talked to the principal, we felt so good about it. But at the end of the day, we had some classroom teachers that nailed it. And some classroom teachers where it was like, this is the worst year ever. Um, the classroom teacher, I feel like really makes or breaks things. And I don't know what the, I don't know what the magic recipe is because they're all so different, but a couple of things that, that I'm going to do that I've learned that I'm going to start doing is Number one, you do have some say in who you get as a classroom teacher when you have a child with this level of need, right? Like regular kids that just kind of get put in whoever's class, you don't, you don't get to pick. But um, as, a, as a parent with a child that has this level of need, you can talk to the principal and say, look, like to make everyone's lives easier, this is what we would prefer. So for me, one big thing is in the beginning, we were assigned teachers that were very, very organized and they thought the team thought this was important because remember the thing I was saying about like transcribing the materials. Mm -hmm. So they wanted a classroom teacher that would be able to uh, give the TVI the materials like two weeks in advance. So there'll be time to transcribe and bring it back. Okay. I understand from a logistical standpoint, especially given that the school board has multiple students that they need to transcribe for. This is a priority. Yes. However, teachers that are super duper organized in my experience have also been teachers that are a little bit more rigid. Um, and for some kids that actually works really well. Like, um, I think if your child needs like that structure of like 
somebody being firm and saying, no, we don't do that. Go back to your seat. Like some kids actually need that kind of firm hand. Mm. My child really does not thrive in that kind of environment. She needs a soft little smushy person and she will feel connected to that smushy person and they will love each other. And then Alina will do things because she loves that person, not because she, you know, fears the repercussions or whatever. So for her, I've learned that that is more important. So I've, I've always, like when I get a chance to ask, I say, we would really prefer a classroom teacher that has this type of approach that who is flexible. And I also find that the teachers who are flexible in that way are also naturally more open to learning new ways of doing things. So when we had the teacher who was super organized, but very rigid, when you told her actually, like, if you say to her, like, oh, well, that doesn't work for Charlie. Could you try this way? She'd be like, no, yeah, (laughs) we're going to do it this way in my class. Like, no. And that I, so I find that like, they kind of are Mm. tied together. So that's one thing. The second thing that I'm still trying to make work for next year is because our district has a lot of split classes. It's so, so great. If you can have your kid with a teacher two years in a row, because you save yourself that whole headache of the upskilling. And for some reason that didn't happen for us every time. Like Alina wasn't a grade one, two split. And I'm like, yes, put her same class. And that was a really good teacher that was, you know, soft (laughs) and (laughs) compassionate and all that. (laughs) Um, She was the best. Yeah. Mushy teacher. So we're like, can we please have her for grade two? And then there was some kerfuffle. We were told that because of, you know, there's all these like quotas of how many kids with certain needs can be in a certain class. And so it was just really difficult for them to juggle that. And so Alina got put in a different class. And then we had to upskill that teacher. It was like, ugh, we could have skipped this whole thing. So this year, I'm hoping we can set that up. She will have a new teacher this year for grade five. But I'm so, so, so hoping that we get to keep the same one for grade six because it's just such a headache. Yeah. I was thinking about just in life, you know, for myself, when, when I'm taking a course or any scenario where someone has to maybe do things a little bit differently to make it work for me, it's the people who approach it almost like excited at the challenge. Mm. Like I've never had a blind person in my yoga class before, but I'm excited to try to figure out how to make this work for you. Or I've never taught a blind skier before, but I'm excited to figure this out. Right. That attitude of like, I'm not, I'm not scared about this. I'm not, I'm just like, Hmm, I don't know, but wow, this will be fun to figure it out. I I just, that those are my people. Those are, (laughs) those are the people that you're just like, okay, we can be kindred spirits for life. Yeah. Versus the don't tell me how to do my job. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 Um, one of what, what I'm most worried about with Charlie going to school is that everyone will treat him like a baby bubble boy. But what my husband's most worried about is him getting picked on and bullied because we grew up in the eighties and nineties and that's just what kids did then. Um, so wondering what Alina's experience have been like with her peers and um, maybe if you could make us feel a little bit better that it's not yeah. going to be the school that we went to when we were young. No, no, it won't. It won't. I feel like our society has progressed so much and there's such a focus on, you know, anti-bullying, treating each other with respect, like even the kindergarten program, part of the program now is like, you know, respecting our, the world around us and dealing with our feelings in positive ways rather than 
hitting the kid next to you or whatever. So I do think like, you don't have to, I don't think you need to worry about it being like the environment that we grew up in. We're also, when I was going to school in the eighties and nineties, um, kids with disabilities were just put in different classes. Like they weren't even integrated. So it's just a completely different world, but have there been situations where, you know, kids said things to her? Absolutely. In the early years, kindergarten, grade one, grade two, sometimes they just say things because they're just, they're six. Like they don't know, they don't mean to offend, but they would say things to her and she, her feelings would be hurt and we would have to work through that. It's a reality of, of something that I think, you know, she will have to face. Um, And all that I can do, I mean, I'm not, I'm not there when it happens. So I can't step in and do anything about it. All I can do is, is just, build up this armor for her when we are doing our things, when we're at home with our family to make sure that she knows that she's beautiful and perfect and loved to uh, plug for blind beginnings here to take her to blind beginnings programs so that she meets other kids and youth who are blind so that she knows that she's not that different. There's lots of other kids like that Uh, for her to meet blind adults like Sean so that she knows that her future is not limited. So when people say mean things to her about you can't do that or whatever, she knows that's not true. Mm. Um, So that when somebody does say something to her, of course, it's going to hurt. I just don't want it to be a permanent mark. You know what I mean? For her to be able to be like, that sucked, that hurt me. But at the end of the day, I know that I'm worthy and that's not true. Yeah. The counselor in me has to also say, empathize with the feeling of hurt, right? Like, yeah, that really sucks when people say things and like that hurt your feelings or that aren't true or whatever. And then you go with it, but it's totally not true. And (laughs) you rock, but just validating that. uh, Yeah, it hurt. It it hurts when, when kids are mean or when they say things that aren't true. Yeah. And I think, I think too, is like what I've heard in the conversation too is like get like the importance of having a counselor for young kids like to be honest that's not really something that I had thought about yet um but yeah I think that would be so supportive and then supportive for the parent like for us too because what I say every day is like I don't know how to parent I've never done this before so having that (laughs) someone like Sean coming in and saying yeah and validate their feelings is I think yeah, it makes me feel like it's not like I got to figure this thing all out on, on my own. So, oh, this has been so good. Thank you, Shauna, for those amazing questions. And Maria, what wisdom. I feel like every parent should listen to this. This is phenomenal. Thank you so much. Oh, oh thanks no so much for having. It felt selfish for me. I just, uh, now I feel better about sending Charlie to school suits. Yeah, I really appreciate it. Maria, too. No worries. It's going to be great. And like I said, call me, text me anytime. I'll give you that pep talk. Sounds good. Also, Blind Beginnings is here to support people in British Columbia, at least. Um, I have gone into schools. We've done presentations on blindness for a class or sometimes even the entire school just to help educate from that perspective as well. And of course, programs to support families out of school. But yeah, we're here too, so... And as a child, a former child who went to school with a visual impairment in the eighties, uh, <laughs> I was never bullied. Sometimes mm. I was left out, 
a lot, I was left out, but I was never actually bullied. So I don't know. And I think things are just so much better now. And there's even a bit of a trend to be different. You know, it's yeah. almost cool to be different right now, which is kind of an interesting period that we're living in. So hopefully it'll be, it'll be better for Charlie yeah, and Alina's cool. high school. That might be a different podcast. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Okay. Well, thanks you guys. You've been listening to Limitless, the Blind Beginnings podcast. If you have a question, a comment, a future topic request, please send us an email to limitless at blindbeginnings.ca. Please share our podcast with a friend, like, subscribe, and join us next time. This podcast has been brought to you by Blind Beginnings, an organization based in Vancouver, Canada, that supports children and youth who are blind or partially sighted along with their families. Music for this podcast is composed by Sean Bishop and Clement Chow. Production and audio editing by Rob Minot. For more information about Blind Beginnings and the work it does to support children and youth who are blind and partially sighted along with their families, visit us on the web at www.blindbeginnings.ca and also remember to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. We thank you for joining us and we look forward to seeing you next time.